Welcome to Empowering Chats with Susan Burrell. This is where I help strong, capable women excavate the inner garbage in their life so they can become more confident and have more clarity on who they are and how they really want to be in the world. We have rich, juicy conversations about, yeah, you guessed it, empowerment, but also about radiating your brilliance and loving yourself more than you ever have in your life. And who doesn't want that? So join me now for another empowering chat. And today, I always seem to start my shows with this, but I am just in gratitude for the guest that we're having on today because she's written, well, she's written a few books, but this particular one caught my attention and it speaks to my personal uh, life journey. So I want to welcome on Annalie Rufus. Annalie, thanks for joining us. Oh, happy to be here. Thank you so much. So I want to tell everybody the name of your book because it totally arrested me. And I talked to my producer, Joyce, and said, we got to, we got to have her on the show. And the name of this current book is called Unworthy, How to Stop Hating Yourself. Ah, <sighs> everybody breathe. So the reason why, Annalie, the reason why this caught me is because I am one of those uh, many multiple, like, thousands or plus more people that I've had esteem issues most of my life. And I, I always thought it was me. I thought it was just me. I thought there was really something wrong with me. And this book that you've written is, comes from partly from your experience, from your research about this esteem issue that we seem to be having. I think it's in America, but it probably goes beyond borders. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's just can happen to anyone who at any point in their life after age three, which is when the developmental psychologists tell us we first become self-aware, we first become individuated from others, we first become, we first become aware of the fact that we have done things and will do things that we, are, we, we look different from others and act. After age three, someone or someone who has more power than we do or we feel has more power than we do can, can let us feel that we are far inferior to them and worthless and bad. And how they do this, it's bullying, it's, it's not such great parenting, it's, it's all kinds of false friendship, any, any kind of thing that can take us out of feeling like I know who I am and I'm okay. That can happen to anyone in any culture at any point in history. Right, and you call it, um, you, you, you place yourself in this book, or you speak from your your personal experience, as you say throughout the book, those of us who hate ourselves, or something like that. What's that phrase? Those of it's us who we we who hate ourselves. And oh, yeah. I know that sounds really extreme. And every time I almost every time I wrote it, which was like countless times, mm -hmm. I thought, oh, this sounds so harsh. But the fact is, if you would if you would talk to me uh, five years ago, twenty five years ago, let's just be honest, thirty five, forty. Um, years ago, I I might not have used those words to you, but in my mind, that was how I felt. I was absolutely just so intolerant of everything about me. I'm the ugliest, grossest, stupidest, most unlovable waste of time that was ever born. And that, uh, you know, I'm not the only person that ever felt that way. But as you mentioned, you felt somewhat that way yourself, you say, but you thought you were the only one. This is the tragedy. There are many tragedies about self-loathing and low self-esteem, but one of the big ones is this sense that it gives us of complete isolation because we think 
we think our problem is not, I have low self-esteem. We think our problem is, I'm a bad, hideous, fat, gross, disgusting, unlovable person. We right. don't realize our problem is that we feel that way. <laughs> right. You it's know, that, we and all, it's not true. Has, right. Everyone has flaws. Everyone's human. No one is perfect who's alive. But um, we take our flaws so seriously and believe what we think others have told us about them, that we think that's our problem. My problem is that I'm unpresentable. Don't put me in a room with anyone because I will just make a fool of myself. Don't make me look in a mirror because I'll just, just start crying. That, that's our problem, that yeah. we're living with that mindset. Our problem is not, you know, I don't have big white teeth or I don't weigh 110 pounds. You know, that's, that's not our real problem. Yeah, that's just the, the, the thing we put on to hide from the real problem. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I was reading your book, too, and the way you write, I'm just going to tell everybody, the way you write, it's like, first of all, it's like I'm sitting down over a cup of coffee talking to a friend who get totally gets me. And then the other part of it is you pepper in all your research that I go, oh, see? Yeah, like the, the, the neuroscience about it and the psychology about it. And, and, and it, it, it creates, it, at least for me, and I can only talk about me, but it created space for me to go, oh, yeah, I can breathe. I can look at some of these things that you invite people to look at. Thank you. It, 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 the fact is that we are so not alone in this and that it is, it is so common that people feel terrible, terrible things about themselves, don't realize that what their problem is is that they feel terrible things about themselves. And the neuroscience shows that we, you can't be born with low self-esteem. It's true that the newborn is completely consumed with just survival. Feed me. You know, it's not thinking I'm a bad person, I'm a good person. It's not even thinking I'm a person. The newborn is thinking I need to live. Feed me. And then it's, it's after age three that we start to have personality traits. But the, under, the other interesting thing about the neuroscience and, and is that MRIs show magnetic resonance imagery of mm-hmm. brains, human brains, shows that we are born with specific tendencies and specific traits that do show up after age three. But we are not blank slates when we're born. We, some of us have a natural inborn talent for music. Some of us have a natural inborn, let's say, fear of crowded places. Some of, it, some of it's inherited, you know, from, we, we can see it in our families. If you take twins, identical twins, who have, what, identical DNA, and you, you separate them soon after birth, and they are raised as strangers, other sides of the world from each other, and brought together, as has been done, the University of Minnesota has done much, much research on twins, which is actually, strangely, surprisingly, very informational for those of us studying low self-esteem, because when you bring these twins together as adults that didn't even know each other existed, you find they had so many similar traits. Oh, look, both of these twins like to dip their buttered toast in coffee. How weird is that? (laughs) Both of these twins are attracted to red-haired people. That is weird. And if you when they do brain studies of these identical twins that were separated, they have extremely similar white and gray matter concentrations in their brains. What does this tell the researchers? Tells the researchers that we're born with tendencies. We came into this world with them. So I think does that mean that there's such could be such a thing as a low self esteem gene? Could it be that some people are born with mm, fear of judgment? Uh, 
hypervigilance, perfectionism. We have tendencies, vulnerability to criticism. And say some of us are born with a constellation of these tendencies. We are the ones who are more likely to, to, to get knocked down by the bullies or whoever else it is. You can have two or three people, kids on the same little league team, and the same coach could say to all three of them, you really screwed up today. You are, you are just a loser. Two of the kids would be like, screw you, coach, and walk off. The third kid will be damaged for life. Why? Maybe because he or she had these inborn tendencies to, to vulnerability to criticism, you know, perfectionism and all that. That's fascinating to me, Annalie, to think about it as possibly a, a genetic, <clears throat> if you will, disorder because I well, see tendency. or tendency. tendency. I, okay. Yeah, I don't think we're doomed. See, this is the thing. <laughs> like some people have the, the diabetes gene or the cancer gene, and it doesn't mean they're necessarily going to get it. It just means they are more susceptible, so they need to watch various lifestyle things. And, and for us, I mean, they haven't done, they haven't done the, the enough research to know that, that there is a low self-esteem gene, but say there is, it just means we need to protect ourselves maybe more than other people do from certain situations. Oh, I agree totally with that. And, and, and see, and now in my uh, experience, in my personal experience, a lot, I, I can now track back. In your book, you talk about going back to reconnecting to a time before you hated yourself. And I can actually do that now. Just in the, like the last couple of years, I just came out of a uh, almost... Uh, 30-year marriage and not that the marriage is the thing that dinged my esteem I can't I walked in with that already but now that I got that separation I can track back and go oh see I, I'm not that and I'm not that and I'm not that and I don't have to buy into that and beat myself up and and this idea of tracking back to the time before you hated yourself which is and identifying that as your true self it at least in my experience has been really powerful because then I'm able to look at the behaviorisms I have developed around esteem issues and I get I become more at choice about it yeah I'm really glad you you mentioned that because I see it as so poignant this crucial time before the time before I a lot of our low self-esteem behaviors the habits that we develop once we have this low self-esteem are are based on what psychologists call the false self. There's the false self and the true self. The false self is like a, like a, like an act we put on, like we're playing a role in a play. But low self-esteem makes us do this more and more and more so that almost all of our behavior with outside people and even in our own minds is, is fake. It's all just clustered around hiding these things that we're so ashamed of. I can't let the public see that I am this stupid, this incompetent, this, 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 so we develop all these habits. We we fake it. We apologize all the time. We creep around. Or, or we get self. straight A's even in, yeah. in things that we don't like to do. Because we're overcompensating for these huge flaws that we think we have. I have to try so hard. If you go back, back and back and back, like you said, to the, to the true self, the time before, it's so peaceful. And who were you? And what did you like back then? I try to go back there. It's hard because for me, I, I think I lost myself, my self-esteem at about age four. Yeah. And my parents were not bad people. They were good people, and they loved me, and they tried hard, and they were doing their best. But, like everyone, they were flawed people. 
and they they had an anger management problem and when they were angry they kind of sometimes forgot that I was a little kid and not an adult mm-hmm. and and hearing the the cuss words and the and the put downs you know a four year old doesn't hear those in the same way as a 24-year-old or a 54-year-old because a 4-year-old doesn't have anything to compare it to. A 4-year-old cannot say, oh, that's just mom, she had a bad day, or oh, that's just dad, he's having trouble at work, or, you know, I have other things to compare this to out in the real world, and everyone else says I'm cool. But a 4-year-old, all they know pretty much is what's happening at home, and all they hear is the authority figures who are their parents or other caregivers. So... You know, that was that was my parents, and, and that was them, and they, they really did not mean any harm. But a lot of people who give other people low self-esteem didn't mean any harm. And that's even more conflicting for those of us who are their, quote-unquote, victims, who end up with the low self-esteem, because we're angry, but at the same time we feel sorry for them. So it's like, I can't just oh, make it all better by saying, I hate my parents, they were terrible, they yelled at me. <laughs> because I don't hate them, and they didn't. They didn't mean to yell, but at the right. same time, they, they didn't mean to cause any harm. They didn't understand, and I was an only child, and they didn't have any experience before that. They hadn't been around kids. So it, some of us are not only struggling to heal our own self-esteem problems, we're struggling with, hmm, how am I going to look at this person that was very important in my life? What am I going to do? And that occupies an enormous amount of time and spiritual and psychological energy. You know what I found also, Annalie, is uh, those of us that develop self-esteem, and I have a quote I want to read, but what I notice is, again, just speaking from my personal experience, is having developed low self-esteem at an early age, just like you, for very similar reasons, just like you, um, there were a couple of times where I thought I was over the fence, you know, I was like, okay, I'm out of it, and then I got Mm -hmm. put into situations where my maturity level and my self-understanding was not strong enough to beat the self-esteem, low self-esteem issues. And so what I noticed in tracking back is I went into friendships and relationships and, and uh, uh, even, even uh, an, an acting teacher who I adored where my self-esteem was constantly at risk and constantly dinged. And I, so I went out without unconsciously seeking that which would verify the truth that I thought was real, that I was worthless. Yeah, it's, we are vulnerable, and, and things trigger us without our expecting it and without our knowing it. And so, you know, sometimes we have to almost do a complete reconstruction. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, I okay, hear you. I just identify what our triggers are and, and who they were in the past and think, you know, that's a kind of relationship that, I just can't. I just cannot afford to have right now, or ever. And and maybe we looking at other people is not and how they do things is not always that helpful to us because, I, you know, for example, my husband he does not have pretty much any, but he does not have the same triggers I have. He doesn't have a self esteem problem, so he can get into argumentative relationships with people. He can get into power struggles with people. He can get manipulated by people. It will. It's like water off a duck's back. He always returns to himself, his confident self, his happy self, his victorious feeling self. I am completely battered by even a loud voice. I can I'm so triggered by yelling. Yeah. It's ridiculous because at my age, you know, it's like you hear yelling. People are yelling. They're not usually yelling 
at me because I avoid the kind of person who would, but it happens sometimes by accident. And I'm just, when someone yells at me or starts insulting me, I am absolutely paralyzed and frozen. Yeah. And I think that's, a lot of us have that. And it's painful. And then I think, oh, I'm so childish. You know, I'm not childish. I just have self-esteem issues. Well, and that's the loop. And that's the loop, isn't it? You know, Mm -hmm. that, you know, and, and it's the caution we, uh, those of us who have low self-esteem most likely need to develop, like you're saying, is what are my triggers and being aware of that. I want to read a quote from your book, Annalie. Um, And the book, again, for everybody is Unworthy, How to Stop Hating Yourself. And in it, you say, once self-loathing becomes entrenched, it feels like identity. Its harsh words sound to us like our own native tongues. Its pain feels as natural, autonomic, and necessary as breathing. And once self-loathing feels normal, it's kind of a an addiction. Once our grown-up brains have learned self-loathing, then unlearning self-loathing, breaking the addiction, requires serious commitment, work, and time. The slow recircuit I can't say that word, recircuiting of how we actually think. So, and that has been my personal experience is, is wow, I, this is a loop I'm constantly finding myself in and who's doing it to me and, and, and f- uncovering that it's kind of me that's doing it to me sometimes, or most of the time. We, unfortunately, yeah. You know, other people might have started it with us, and we just keep up. We just keep up their work, and that is such a bummer because we become we're we're very very good at it. We, especially if we learn it young, when we don't have that much to counteract it, it's it is like learning the language we would learn when we were young, or any habits that we learned when we were young, and we. We just carry that out. We just keep repeating it and repeating it and repeating it. And we are the best at it because who is in our heads all the time? Us. <laughs> yeah. Who are we listening to all the time? Us. When everyone else stops talking, when we're alone in a room, who are we with? Us. <laughs> and if we spent X number of years or decades saying, you screwed up, you screwed up, you shouldn't have done that. What are you going to do now? Oh, God, what are you going to blow? Oh, someone's mad at you. What have you done? <laughs> Please turn that off really hard to turn off your own head and that's why some people say that meditation whether in a spiritual context or not is a great great tool to deal to help us deal with low self-esteem because it its goal is to stop the active thinking it, it slows us down to just sit there and let the thoughts drift past like floating petals falling out of a tree and just let them Go past our inner eye, watch them, and not dwell on them. Okay, there was a thought. I felt some fear. Oh, now I'm feeling a little worried. And not cling to it, just let it go, like you would let the petals go past. And again, that takes, it, and that takes practice, all of yeah, it. Yeah, it takes years of practice. <laughs> it's, it seems simple, but it, it's really, really hard. But I gotta share in the something. end result, what's that? i got to share something about meditation. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a meditator, but in... It, it's still, even to this day, I've been doing it for a couple of decades now, even to this day, when I have stuff up, you know, when I've got issues, mm-hmm. it, it, uh, the the last thing I want to do is get my butt in a chair yep. and, and be quiet and listen to myself not talk. You know, it's, it, it, it becomes, and that's my default. I go back to the, oh no, the, if I go into that meditation, uh, 
area in my brain, I'm going to find the ugly, the ugly that's lurching in the corner waiting for me to come in and calm down so it can antagonize me again. It, it's interesting how that keeps resurfacing. Yeah, it's because we're afraid of what's inside. Mm. And, 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 and we're so certain that what's inside is hideous that we're going to see it. But yeah. I think the whole reason, <clears throat> excuse me, the whole reason that meditation was developed in different spiritual paths was to counteract that, was to see, oh, I'm just human. Oh, this will pass. This too will pass. And this too will pass. But it is, it is deceptively, it is hard. And, and to make something a practice that you do day after day is hard. But uh, while I was researching this book, I, I interviewed experts who have teach meditation and, and have gotten really far with it, and they say it really, it science proves that it really can change the quote-unquote shape of your, of your brain, of the, of the neurocircuiting of your brain. It can, uh, let's say, decrease the, the superactive parts. It can slow things down that when you do get triggered, it slows down your automatic reaction so that you, over time, once you get into the habit of meditation, which I agree is very difficult, um, your reactiveness to, oh, someone just yelled at me, oh, I just made a mistake, will be, you'll get that extra 10 seconds to count down, which when you haven't been practicing meditation, it's it's over. It's like yeah, yell that's that, die. Yeah, yeah. You that, need that ten seconds, and and meditation can give us that ten seconds. So let's talk about in your book. You have, um, you say there's common personality traits. I found this very interesting. This particular part of your book, you came up with twelve common personality traits. Okay, so I took the internal test. Yeah, I got some of them. Some of them I don't have, and actually, Yahoo, some of them I've kind of uh, erased. Yippee do. Yay. So can we go through those? Because I think that's important for people to hear, some of the common personality traits. Because while you may be listening, you may think, well, I'm, I'm just fine with my self-esteem. Something here might begin to give you a glimmer of, of perhaps it's something to think about or consider. You know, there are habits that I see as kind of dead giveaways that, oh, that person is probably struggling with low self-esteem. And they might not even know it because... That they they just they think the habit is is them. They think the habit is real, and I can see that these habits come from they all come from the same dark ugly seed, which is the low self esteem. And as I mentioned, chronically apologizing, everything that you do. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I always think of the kind of cartoonish, which I did actually draw a cartoon of. Is version is if if I bump into you and spill my coffee on you and stain your clothes and knock your books out of your hand, I'll say, I'm sorry. And if you bump into me and spill your coffee on me and stain my clothes and knock my books out of my hand, I will also say, I'm sorry. <laughs> so it's like, you know, that, why are we doing that? Why do we do that? We're so, we're so ashamed of ourselves that we will apologize when we haven't done anything wrong. That is a huge one to me. And I see that so commonly, it makes me so sad. And the other, I think the other biggest one is that we have, we have trouble making choices from a, a little thing, a seemingly little thing, like I can't choose a menu item or an ice cream flavor to a bigger thing, like where are we going to go on vacation? What are we going to name the baby? Becoming paralyzed by choice, I see that as, how does that relate to self-esteem? Easy. We think we're, we're so sure that we're going to regret our choice or that it's going to make someone mad at us. Better not to make a choice. 
let someone else do. That's one reason that I think people with low self-esteem are, quote-unquote, easy to get along with, because we can be very, very passive. It's like, uh, you decide, honey. Oh, they love that. Some <laughs> oh, them, I don't care. Where do you want to go for dinner? I don't care. You choose. Really? <laughs> yep. <laughs> my, husband gets, my husband gets a little bit irritated with the passivity sometimes, and he knows I'm trying to just fob off the decision-making on him. But, you know, there's many a time when I think he's been grateful. It's like, oh, yeah, you want me to decide? Okay. Um, other of these traits is I, I say we lie, and that seems really hard. Harsh. Oh, we like, but we. I think people with low self-esteem tend to tell untruths in order to hide what we're ashamed of about ourselves. We will lie to seem smarter than than we think we really are. We will lie to seem stupider in the sense that we don't want to look like show-offs. I had a friend who did this all the time. She was an extremely brilliant person. She later took her own life, but she was an extremely brilliant person who would I would say play dumb. And I would say, stop doing that. You don't need to play dumb. You don't need to pretend that you know nothing about Russian literature when you've read all of it, you know, just because you don't want to look like a show-off. And she would just say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm not playing dumb, but she was. Yeah. She was lying there, too. So, yeah, that, and that's interesting because that's one of the traits that I, I didn't have and, and I've mm-hmm. never really had, at least out in the world, uh, mm-hmm. But as I thought about it more, I was like, yeah, but I, I have been, you know, like in, in get, getting out of this uh, marriage, I was lying to myself for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, see, it's going to work. See, it's still working. We, okay, well, it looks like it's kind of not, but it's really working. You know, so it's, it's whether we're telling it to other people or we're telling it to ourselves, right? The truth is hard. The truth is hard for everyone. The truth does hurt. Um, but those of us with, with low self-esteem are... We, we kind of have an extra extra layer of it where we are lying to ourselves and to others, and it just makes us, at the end of the day, you have not had a true moment inside or out, and that is exhausting, daunting, creates this huge empty core. It's just the saddest, saddest thing. That's, that's one of the tragedies of low self-esteem is that you get meaningless day after meaningless day because of all this lying that you cannot... You really cannot help but do, even to yourself. And that's why I think it's so important to find some way of healing. Another habit is, I call it, we ruin our own fun. Oh, boy, that that's means, been mine, i got to say. That's for me. Yeah. You know, it's like we're about to ha- have the great, we're, we're at the party, we're, we're meeting the person that we're falling in love with, we're having a laugh, and something happens. I'm suddenly scared. Oh, what, what, was, that, what was that pain? I have cancer. What was... <laughs> what was that laugh that person made? They're not, they're not having fun. They're laughing at me. Something has to come in and puncture the fun because we, I mean, to put it simply, we just believe we don't deserve the fun and that we are going to be punished. We are so certain that punishment awaits us and that we deserve it. And Ali, I want to read another quote from your book on this one about ruining our own fun because this is what hooked me as I was reading it. Um, in it, you said, we believe that whatever, whatever feels at first like joy is not or is, but will not last, or should not last. We feel so sure of this that we will undermine our own inklings of joy, blunting the pain we think awaits. This way we beat pain to the punch. I, I can't even tell you how many times I've done that. Oh. It's kind of, ah, yeah, and I'm not doing it anymore. I'm choosing not to, everybody, good. we can make a different choice, yeah? Yeah, good though. It's, it's strange because it's so insidious. 
And once it's gone, it's gone. Okay, then we have to make a physical effort, a commitment to ourselves. I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to get the fun back. Because, you know, in my life, many years, many, many years, if the fun got punctured, that was it. It was over. Now it's like, okay, it was over for five minutes. I am getting that fun back. I'm getting that fun. Okay, (laughs) we have to make that commitment. But a similar one, a similar habit, is our inability to accept compliments. Um, oh yeah, it's, it's 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 kind of a fun. It's like a person says, "Oh, you're you know you're looking very well today," or "Good job on on what you did," or "That was a funny story you told." Our first thing, people with low self esteem, is, "Oh no, I'm just wearing rags." Oh no, that wasn't. A, oh, I wasn't funny. I'm so embarrassed. I made a fool of it. Whatever, we will deflect whatever compliment we are given because deep down, we believe we don't deserve it, and it's it annoys people because. Praise is like a present they're giving you, a spo- usually spontaneous. It's in their heart. They're like, oh, look, you know, they, they're, they're, they took the trouble to write or, or say to you a compliment. And what do you do? Throw their present in their face? Would you do that if someone gave you a bouquet of flowers or a, a wrapped gift? Probably not. But that we do that to, to, to words, complimentary words, is, is, is another, it's a sad thing, and it has the side effect of being unkind to others. And, of course, we with low self-esteem, the last thing we want to do is have a bad quality, unkindness to others, but that's a side effect. We are, it is unkind, really, to deflect praise, and that's what we chronically do. Emily, would you share the story that you have in the book about your mom with the presents and, and how, she, how she handled getting uh, gifts? Because it's a kind, well, of, it kind of a profound story. Yeah, you know... I would go to visit her every year at Christmas time, and she would have gotten piles of gifts from her friends and coworkers, and they would be wrapped up, and she would ask me to be with her when she unwrapped them. She would unwrap her gifts and sob, just sob, whatever it was in there. If it was a beautiful piece of jewelry or, or a, a funny, silly thing like a paperweight, she would just sob because she felt that she didn't deserve whatever these people had wrapped up and given her, and that... They had done it under false pretenses. They didn't mean it. They did it out of pity, you know, and whatever she had given them in exchange was, was definitely not good enough, even though I knew what she had given them, and it was great. She was great, a great gift giver. Um, but she had such issues around presents, and she would put off opening them for as long as possible, as long as she'd get away with. She would leave them wrapped. I do that, too, for different <laughs> reasons. <laughs> Well, that's part of, you know, on Living Your Inspired Life, we talk about this idea of, of circulation, you know, and that being able to receive the good in our lives as well as giving it out. And, and to me, that's kind of a, a, an underpinning for me of my, of developing my self-esteem is being able to receive those compliments. I had, I had to develop an affirmation a few years ago when I was teaching a class. I had students bringing me gifts, and I was like, and like you said, beautiful gifts. And I was like, wait a minute, you paid me for the class. You don't have to bring the teacher an apple type of thing. But I realized they were doing it because they were getting so much out of the class. They wanted to give back more, and I had to receive these beautiful gifts. Oh, what a shame. And I had to use yeah. an I had to do an affirmation of my you know I receive all the gifts that are given to me with gratitude. I say yes to that. Yes, yeah, because people with low self esteem often are living in a world of mistrust. Of course, we mistrust ourselves and our own intentions, but we mistrust the intentions of others. So that again, it's an unkindness we do to them. 
we assume that person just said, you're beautiful, I love you. They don't mean that. They're, la- they're inside, they're laughing at me, they're tricking me, they want something from me. Oh, God, this is so embarrassing. Or they're just wrong, and they're going to find out they're wrong, and then I'm, gonna, I'm just going to feel like a fool. Um, so much in our, in our minds about other people, even if, see, I'm a complete introvert. It's not a good or bad thing. My previous book, Party of One, The Loner's Manifesto, is all about how it's, it's okay to be an introvert. It doesn't mean you're a freak. But even an introvert has issues with, with you know, other people and relationships and not wanting to, I don't want to hurt people, but my low self-esteem has hurt people because I have mistrusted them when they try to give me a gift, a compliment, love, friendship, I've just thrown it back in their face. Like, like you're saying, it, it requires a, either an affirmation or a commitment to ourselves. It's like, trust that people mean it. Someone wants to be your friend, why would they go to the trouble of saying that if they were just pulling some elaborate, you know, candy camera joke on you? They're not. Trust that someone actually is praising your outfit. It's, that's what they're doing. You know, as you're <laughs> saying that, Annalie, I, 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 my brain started doing this. This, um, <laughs> I just saw, like, it was started spinning because so often in our lives, or in, and in my life, I guess, when people would say things like that, okay, they, I really want to be your friend. And then it's like what you were saying earlier, you've got to trust. In essence, you got to trust the universe, that the universe is affirming to you the good that you already are, in spite of what we think about it with our esteem. And it's, that's a challenge for a, a lot of people, I think. It is. It is. In, in a spiritual way, in the emotional way, and just in a physical way, that a good thing can legitimately come to us. You know, maybe I am not the worst person in the world. So-and-so, so-and-so is willing to spend their time with me. So-and-so is willing to work with me, say a good thing to me. You've got to trust that so-and-so is not an evil person or a stupid person, They're, even in that small way. You know, that's important, but also related to people. Another one of these habits is the inability to say no. Um, I have a very hard time saying no because I don't want to, quote-unquote, make people mad at me. I don't want to make them not like me. I don't want to make them disappointed, even the complete introvert that I am. I, I have these, these issues where it's, someone asks me to do a work task I don't want to do that someone else could do better. Someone asks me for, to go somewhere when I really just, like, oh, I don't want to go to the house. I don't want to. I, I will say yes to them. I will say yes to them regardless of of how I don't want to say yes to them. And that we, we need to work on the boundaries and, again, trust that we can say no and maintain the relationship if we want to. You know, everything is not hanging on this thin, thin pendulum of, of punishment. That if, if I say no, this happened to me just today, um, that if I say no, that's it, it's over. We, we can't we can't go on living that way no and that's and that's part of what you talk about in your book unworthy how to stop hating yourself I couldn't help but think now I've read your book and I know that you've got some examples about guys going through low self-esteem but it everything you we've been talking about of you know the we apologize too much we have a hard time choosing we ruin our own fun we don't you know we deflect praise we can't say no these all sound like traits that are really particular to women. I, I, I mean, all the women I know, everybody's got that going on. I know it sounds that way, but it's not true. And some of the these things that you decided, I mostly identified with males that I've known, the apologizing thing. I first noticed it, even though I, I do it myself. It wasn't 
my own chronic apologizing that made me put think of putting that note in the book. It was it was someone I knew, a man I knew who was constantly in every email apologizing for the previous email. And I thought, what is it with you? But then I realized I know what it is with you. You know, in this particular case, it was someone who had a very traumatic childhood and had extremely low self-esteem. But it was like everything he, he wrote or said, he would brood about it later and then apologize for. Oh, yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that men might, might experience it differently because our culture puts them in different roles and asks different things of them. So some of these things might be more visible in women and some might be more visible in men. But, it, you know, unfortunately, it is, it is not gender-specific. Okay, that's good to know, I guess, so that, ladies, we, we, are, we get to be in the boat with our brothers <laughs> surfing this, yeah. this unknown. Yeah, I think because men are, in our culture, expected to be the strong ones, quote-unquote, and when they are maybe traumatized in youth, abused in youth, bullied in youth, then they have, then they have power issues. Oh, I'm a weakling, I'm a weakling, I'm a weakling. I couldn't, I couldn't fight with this person. I couldn't get the better of this person that, that abused me. That, that haunts them in a culture that expects them to be strong. So they have their own special, special things. Yeah, you're opening my heart to compassion for the guys out there. <laughs> yeah. So in the book, too, you talk about booby traps and how to dismantle them. And I love this part because this is, this is like, to me, the, the nuts and bolts of how to um, loosen up and, and develop healthy self-esteem. And one of the first things you said, which was, it, it is still my hardest thing to answer, is, is, is what, do, what do you want? To, to really get in touch with what it is you want, or I want. Right. Um, I call this, this little mini disorder wantorexia because <laughs> we were, I think, part of the, the whole mechanism that, that deprives, us of our, deprives us of our self-esteem is people often telling us, you don't want that, you don't want that, you don't want that. Um, it takes away our power, it takes away our self-awareness, and it takes away a lot of our pleasure. Because if you like something when you're a kid, say you're a little boy that likes playing with dolls, say you're a little girl that likes playing with trucks, or just say you're a little, a, a person of any age that likes X, Y, Z, studying rocks, speaking foreign languages, sleeping in the middle of the day, and someone or someone tells you you cannot do that. That's not okay, that's not the real you, that's not accepted in our, in our community, whatever, whatever. That cuts you off from your desires, from your wants, and that cuts you off from even the feeling of desire and want. I don't want anything. Wanting nothing is, we think, we think, in our low self-esteem mind, it short-circuits getting yelled at. I, want, I don't want anything, so no one oh, can be mad yeah, at me when yeah. I'm disappointed, prejudiced. No one can, can, can attack me if I want nothing, then I can't. I can't be denied my thing that I want because I didn't want anything in the first place. This is a huge lie that we tell ourselves often for our whole lives because it's, quote-unquote, easier to want nothing than to want something and not get it for whatever reason. Oh, my God, that just feels subterranean in consciousness to me because, (laughs) at least in my consciousness, because I, 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 and I so appreciate you saying that because I did not, until you just said it, realize that that's what was making it so hard for me to say, this is what I want. This is, you know, people say, I know I have friends that have been saying to me, we said, what, what will make you happy? I'm like, I have no clue. I have no clue. We are cut off. Yeah. We're cut off from it. And, and we are cutting ourselves off from it. It's, it's a, it's a kind of self-protection. It's a very perverse, but all of everything about self-esteem is perverse. 
but it's a perverse form of self-protection. It's, it's so sad. And other people, people who don't have self-esteem issues, have no idea. It's like the easiest thing in the world to them is, what do you want? And look, we see little kids, you know, what do you want? They're all, I want it. It's like, everybody knows what they want except us. Why is this so difficult? And we're not faking it. I mean, I get this from Mr. Husband and others. It's like, come on, just say it. It's like, I would if I could. I don't know the answer. Right. But, you know, and, and in the book I say, well, how, how to dismantle this booby trap. With all my little booby traps, I try to think of strategies that can, can help us out. And, and this one, I like, imagine that you, the person with low self-esteem, were spending the day with your ideal, wonderful, special benefactor, you know, fairy princess, big brother, big sister, and that person took you to the, the, the big magical Toys R Us in the sky and said, pick something. We are not leaving this place until you pick something. And you're like, well, you pick it for me. Nope. We are not leaving until you pick something. Anything. See, the thing about low self-esteem and all these strategies is start small. Big things are overwhelming to us. That's why big compliments are overwhelming to us. If you have to live with someone who has low self-esteem, if you tell them, you're a beautiful queen, you're the greatest, they're not going to believe you. Never, never in 100 years. And you can dress me up in that fairy princess outfit, I'm not going to believe it. No, they'll be angry at you. But if you say to that person, you know, you know, you have have a good sense of color, or, hey, I like that word that you use. They can handle the little things, most of them, can handle the little things bit by bit by bit, and they add up to the big things. So same with this. Like, what's a tiny thing that I would desire? I'm not asking you to, like, pick a new career or a, a life goal. It's like, what, what, what do you want to do in the next hour? Tiny things. So that's, that's how we can kind of heal the wantorexia is in these little hourly, minutely ways. Okay, we're not leaving the store. Just pick, and you can pick something random and trivial. You know, whipped cream. Uh, <laughs> you know, something, a shirt with buttons. I mean, it, it is hard. I'm like, we're laughing, but it's actually hard. Yeah. So what are some other booby traps that, are, uh, that sabotage our self-esteem? Regret is, is a huge one, and it's been a huge debilitating one for me because when you have low self-esteem, yeah, you live in, in, you're looking in the rearview mirror all the time. It's like, I screwed up then, I screwed up then, I screwed up then, and that's why I'm in the situation I'm in right now, and whatever I do now, I'm going to regret, and I'm going to, it's like, it's very hard to turn away from the rearview mirror. Very, very hard. Regret is itself, it's like a sticky ball that gets us forever. How do you, how to look forward? How to look forward? Uh, the greatest geniuses and spiritual masters of all time have, have, have worked on that, trying to figure out. And that's why the great Greek myth about Orpheus um, and, and his partner, Eurydice, is that he was, oh, I'm going to get completely wrong, um, she was taken down into the underworld mm. um, by into Hades, and he was told that he could go in and rescue her, but the one thing he could not do was look back. And if he looked back while bringing her out, then she would be snatched away again. And he succeeds until the last minute, and then he looks back. Um, there's a reason that these stories have such deep resonance with people, is that regret is so addictive and so tempting. We just have to, we have to start visualizing letting go. Yeah. Okay, maybe you did screw up at age 12. It is gone. Let it go. All these things. Just imagine them as, as a ball that you're just, you're just 
thrown over a cliff and you're turning around and walking away. I see it. I, is, I tell myself often when I start those regret thoughts at three in the morning that keep me up mm-hmm. for hours, I, I begin to tell myself now, just drop it like a dog with a bone. Drop it. Yeah. Just drop it yeah. right now. Yeah. I think there's something in, in Buddhism, which is drop the rock. You know, oh. you know, this is heavy. I'm going to drop this. I'm going <laughs> to walk away. Yay. I feel better. You can't. The past is the past, and you really can't fix it. In, in some cases, yeah, you can do what they do in 12 steps, which is make amends. If you really have screwed something up that can be fixed, then maybe, yeah, you have a responsibility to make amends. Go back to that person or thing that you hurt and say, what can I physically actually do besides apologize? That, what can I do to make things better? And sometimes the person that you owe the amends to is yourself. Um, Ooh, yeah. Another booby trap that is a big one is, is the silence and the isolation that we mentioned before. Um, we keep all these secrets about ourselves and about our feelings about ourselves. And what does that do? It does make us feel like I'm the only, I'm the only person that is so miserable. And I'm the only person that is this hideous, this horrible, and this unlovable. If we were to first access the fact that our problem is low self-esteem, that, you know what, I'm walking around hating the person that I'm walking around with, me, we could accept that. And then, you know, admit that to someone else that we think would understand and might share that feeling about themselves, then it's like, whoa, we'd have this whole solidarity. And then we'd have this movement again, like 12 Step, except it would be, you know, we could create our own, our own self-loathing meetings and get together and say, oh, here's, here's what I did today. Oh, I regretted this, this, and this. And everyone would understand and they'd relate and they'd go, you know, I've done that too. And then everyone would have a laugh and, and feel better. I agree with that. Uh, and in fact, um, I I have uh, over the last two years been very upfront and open with sharing uh, my esteem issues. And, and it's been that has been huge in helping me get over it. Yeah, me too. And and it and it is and it's true, uh, just to, because you're speaking about the things you think are are shameful to you. And, and uh Shame doesn't want doesn't want to be found out, but when we share what it is we're feeling bad about ourselves, other people will go, "Oh, you know what? I can relate to you because I got that," and they can also hold space for us to get over it, to get through it. Yeah, there's something you know. People who don't have these issues can make fun of what what they would say our anecdotal nature, but you know, when you are deep, deep down, living in that world of I can't even go out of my house because I'm the ugliest person in the world. A simple anecdote, like knowing that a real, actual other person went through that, it's like the light comes on. And when we find out, I have a few of these in the book, some very famous people have, have revealed in interviews that they have struggled with extreme low self-esteem. People like Mariah Carey, you know, Kate Winslet, people who the world thinks are talented and beautiful and obviously have a lot of money um, that they earned because people gave it to them. Well, if we know that those people have struggled with extreme low self-esteem, then how ridiculous is low self-esteem? Hmm, maybe ours is ridiculous, too. Maybe we're not going to go on stage and perform for for thousands and become billionaires. But you know what? In perspective, (laughs) that's that's what I I think our anecdotal nature, it's it's beneficial to look at the the famous people with low self-esteem. So, Annalie, what are some of you in the back of the book, you have healing strategies for all of this uh, unworthiness. So what are some of those that people could uh, walk away from this interview with? A great one for me is is 
defining, calling, thinking of yourself as a master craftsman. Not everybody is good at everything. If, I, if you were a master weaver and I said fix a car, you might not be able to, but you'd be great at weaving a blanket. Um, all of us have some things that we are good at, even if they might seem like, oh, that's not important. Okay, write down six of them. I know it's hard to write down any complimentary, praiseful things about yourself, but try. It's like, okay, do I have a sense of humor? That's a plus. Do I have a sense of fairness? That's a plus. Do I like to look at art? That's a plus. It doesn't have to be something that helps others. It just be a, a positive quality. You know, write down six and kind of celebrate those six. You know what? Those are good things. Those are good things. I'm not a terrible, I'm not a murderer. I, I'm not a, an arsonist. I've never, okay, those are good. Then find ways of incorporating those, those six items in your daily life. If I like to look at art and that makes me feel like inspired and, and part of the whole, the whole beautifulness of the world, I am going to look at art every day, even if it's just on my computer. Okay? If, oh, that's a great that's, idea. Yeah. Realize that you're a master craftsman. Another one is to sort of adopt, your, adopt, adopt yourself, re-adopt yourself. And I know that there's been a lot said about the inner child, and that's kind of tired and ancient in 1980s. But you look back to wherever it was that you were losing your self-esteem, whatever was happening. Go back there and be a witness. Walk into that scene. And, yeah, maybe you, you, you could decide or not decide to punch in the face of people that were giving you a little self-esteem or give them the talking to. But, you know, you just go there, you take that long-ago self by the hand, and you say, we're coming out of here. I'm going to give you the wisdom that I now have, because when you got your low self-esteem, you didn't know about the rest of the world, probably, and I'm going to tell it to you now, and I'm going to heal that long-ago person, and we're going to walk out of here together. I love that one, because uh, that's something that I just recently did for myself, and and it wasn't, it was going back, you know, doing that inner child work. But which I've done often, but that, but in the process of doing that work within myself, I realized there was another segment, another part of myself that I had totally dis, you know, totally just wanted nothing to do with, and that was the beautiful part of me, which is my body, inner, you know, the cellular structure as well as the physical, uh, you know, ex- expression of. And when I got to that piece uh, from my esteem, it totally tweaked my brain. Totally. Yeah, we, take, we take the body for granted. Oh, and when we completely. have low self-esteem, we abuse it and say terrible things about it. But when you think of the miracle of what the human body is capable of, no matter how it quote-unquote looks on the outside, oh, look, I can see all the way over there. Whoa! <laughs> I am lucky and blessed. You know, even those tiny things. Should, should wake us up a little bit. Another another healing strategy is is getting a lot of buzz these days, but it's the self-compassion. You know, we say terrible things to ourselves that we would not say to anyone else or uh, even yeah. to a dog. You know, we we say terrible things. So, like, okay, when we hear ourselves, when we catch ourselves saying those terrible things, and I do it to myself constantly, it's like, can I stop right now and think, would I say that to someone else? No, I probably wouldn't. Why wouldn't I? Why am I saying it to myself? What can I say instead? Can I say, oh, you know, uh, uh, it's okay that you did that. You were having a rough moment. You were triggered. Uh, oh, you know, it's okay. We're going to get over this moment, and it's past. Or, hey, just 
pat the little <laughs> imaginary, the pat the self on the back and say, yeah, you know, but here's a good thing to think about. Whatever you would say to cheer up a kid or a friend or even a stranger, can we apply those things to ourselves? It is hard. I'm not telling you I'm good at this. I am not good at this, but it's important and I should be good at it. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I discovered when I was doing this inner work, um, like, like in terms of my body, is then I, I was able to <clears throat> name it so I call it that image of myself now beautiful instead of ugly. And then I, I do, I've created affirmations around it of my, my beautiful body is healthy. You know, my beautiful body is, uh, is strong. My beautiful body is, and using a descriptor like that, which has never been part of my vocabulary in terms of me, has been very helpful for me because it reminds me when I say my beautiful, that I want to see myself inside and out as beautiful. Yeah. So, Annalie, it's a we, hard word. That is a hard word, and and I think it's very courageous of you to, to to have adopted it. Hey, I'm on I'm on the razor's edge in my life right now. So you know <laughs> what the hell. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we have one more. Uh, we just have a few more seconds together, Annalie. Uh, the book is called Unworthy: How to Stop Hating Yourself. One last thing, thirty seconds, thirty second pop that we can go out on. Uh, tell everybody your website so that people can investigate your other books. Uh, okay, it's AnnaLeeRubis.com, A-N-N-E-L-I-R-U-S, like furniture, U-S, like sugar.com. And uh, I got to tell everybody, this book is totally worth it. Unworthy, How to Stop Hating Yourself. Annalie, thank you for dancing the dance and, and doing the conversation with me today. You are a gift and a blessing. Yes, I'm saying that. You can accept it. I know you can now. And I'm just (laughs) going to end with, and so it is, namaste. Well, that wraps up our empowering chat today. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, go to susanburrell.com. You can see all the information about my new book, Live an Empowered Life, a 30-Day Journey. You can also access guided meditations that I have on Insight Timer through the website and just see what else is out there on my site that you might find empowering and exciting to experience. You can also contact me through the website at susan at susanborell.com. That's it for today. See you next time.